Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's April 18th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 559. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Patrick Klepek. Hey! Renata Price. Hello! And Kato is finishing up some more fun new rental uh, tasks that they are that they are dealing with. Uh, so, Patrick, let's just let's just dig into it. You and I have been playing a little uh, Dead Island uh, this this past week. We have returned to the island known as Los Angeles, Halle, as the kids call it. If this game doesn't if this game doesn't culminate on like Catalina Island, I'm I'm suing them for false advertising. That is this is bogus. Well, yeah, you know, Dead Island 2, which is a game that has been in development for in a, just an epically long time. I was pulling up the Wikipedia entry here. Um, this is a sequel to the two, Dead Island 2 is a sequel to the 2011 video game Dead Island. Um, uh, the original Dead Island was uh, made by the studio that would go on to do uh, Dying Light, um, Techland. Um, and I was a huge proponent of the original dead island like it was me and brad shoemaker out on dead island island just shouting to the rooftops that this was uh sure a let's call it a culturally insensitive video game would be maybe the most <laughs> positive spin we're still we being generous on it. we're yeah. still being very generous it's but what discriminatory we, and harmful uh, yeah i distinctly <laughs> remember a rap song being a problem i'm just gonna I don't know the details. I just have some vague memories. Also, that was also the game that had that the statue, the statue. Like, oh, good, good lord. Um, but what was interesting about Dead Island oh, and then made it not shocking at all that they would go on to produce something like Dying Light instead of Dead uh, Island Two was in Dead Island. You had this unique control scheme where you could use the analog stick to specifically aim where your weapon was going. And so if you wanted to cut off an like a zombie's right arm, you could. If you wanted to focus on their head, you could. If you wanted to focus on it was just it was a, you know lots of games have limb focused systems, right? But it had this really interesting quality to like playing it because like we were talking when Kyle was discussing was it infinite guitars last week, right? There is something about do we need to stop and use are you just responding to the statue? I just see a lot of faces happening on this call, which I feel like are Google searches no, occurring around it's this wiki. game. It's there's wiki info coming in. No way. Are these are these great quotes? These are or are you use those rap lyrics. These are lyrics to the rap song, which mm-hmm. is which is uh, staggering. I'm staggered. And let me just look at the written by tab. All right. Christopher H. Knight. Not looking good so far. Uh, Joseph Lord. No picture available. 
and Harris Orkin. Not looking good so far. What are, what, uh, are these? Is, what are you what are you reading? This is the lyrics to the rap song from Dead Island. Oh, I, uh, okay. Um, sorry. Stable yeah. of corpse bitches. I'm a pimp of the dead. You know. On the <laughs> other hand, there's a, maybe there's a little craft in this song. Uh, I don't know. The craft was really in the 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 weapons and the the unique sort of. Uh, attack system in dead island it was also just a goofy game it, it you know definitely was at the uh you know we've seen a lot of games since that have had sort of weapon crafting systems where you're adding different elemental uh things attached to them like this that was the big appeal here was that like i can have this like electric rod that i have crafted out of whatever crap i have found um on this on this on this island full of full of the dead and it was just like had a really fun multiplayer mode that was just like mm-hmm. really ridiculous if you go look up um uh i believe it was a like thursday night throwdown on giant bomb from many many years ago i guess i presumably 20 2011 um <laughs> in which uh a four of us at giant bomb played dead island multiplayer together i remember jeeps that i just remember jeeps being a huge problem and like a really funny part about it but it's all just to say it was like this really kind of unique oddity uh, of a game and then Techland goes on to do Dying Light and the Dead Island franchise is just sitting there and of course like this game was kind of critically and commercially successful of course you're going to make uh, a Dead Island 2 and that game goes through just development hell um Jaeger was working on it it was announced in 2014 Jaeger was working on it for a number of years Jaeger was removed <laughs> from the project um in 2015 Sumo Digital was then attached uh, to Dead Island 2, and then Sumo Digital <laughs> was removed, and then Damn Buster, who's an internal studio at Deep Silver, used to be uh, beca- Crytek UK. Yeah. Yes, I believe that is correct. Not 2K, UK, sorry. Um, became the developer in 2019. I don't know how much of this game has any lineage to what was being produced 10 years ago, what was from scratch, but what we end up with is uh, Dead Island 2, a game that uh, I think I've played a little bit more of it than than you have, uh, Rob, but we've both been kind of screwing around with it. Uh, before I talk about what I feel about it, I'm curious I'm curious what you make of it. Uh, yeah, so I, I think... Do you have any history with Dead Island, or was everything no, about so Dead I told, Island what I, told, I, just, like, what I just told I, you? <laughs> I, was a, I was a Giant Bomb listener, and so I had sort of marked it off as like, yeah, like it's not as bad as some of its... Uh, the reputation it sort of garnered in advance of release uh, w- would indicate that there was there was something more there than uh, a, a tacky PR campaign and a sad music trailer uh, that totally misrepresented what this game it was going to be. 100% right. Go look up Dead Island CG trailer. And it was a hallmark of the era for slow, sad music played over. Um, and it suggested this game full of like a nuanced story about like, a family on an island of the undead and how will they survive? And that's just like nothing to do with yeah. anything like that. Island barely has a story. It has reasons to go from point A to point B. And if you want to call that a story, you can, but that like, I don't think that's usually what people consider to be storytelling. Uh, yeah. So like I, I never played dead Island one. Uh, this game I am like, I think certainly, Opens with sort of a statement of ten. It's 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 going. It, it it's it's promising good time. It's like you know brash is the way I would describe it. But I think my issue is, 
I'm coming to this after playing a lot of Dying Light and then a bit of Dying Light 2. And I didn't like Dying Light 2 as much as Dying Light 1. I felt it was it was kind of bloated, right? Dying Light 1 was was a big game, but it was kind of focused on what it was doing. Dying Light 2 is kind of ponderous. There's a little too much going on in it. Uh, I think it, takes it, a lot. it takes forever to get all the like the abilities that you want. I mean, I, you know, I played 10 hours of that game before I got like the hang glider stuff. It was just something where it's like, Hey, all the cool stuff I saw in the trailers is like 30 hours away. And it just took a long time to get there. Um, and that, that's why I ended up falling off of, of Dying Light 2. But Dying Light, you still had, like, fundamentally Dying Light combat and movement and such. Yeah. And so, like, even, like, at that game's lowest ebb, you know, at, at, at the bottom of it, you're still playing a pretty solidly constructed base game. Uh, yeah. it's, it's sort of the, the meta layers that were built on top of it that I think caused the issues. And here it feels like I'm playing and it's trying to do different things. It is a more lightweight experience. Uh, you know, if, if I guess if you were to draw the comparison, if Dying Light 2 or the Dying Light series is uh, like Stalker, then this is Serious Sam, I think would be kind of the the parallel to draw. But. Serious Sam's really good at making its action feel good, right? Like yeah. that's that would make that's what make that makes that game, work. Yeah, Serious Sam kicks movement, ass. Like let's the, let's, the let's be clear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it like it is that sort of fast, lightweight, unserious, tongue in cheek, arcade experience that's just mm-hmm. like unfolds at a blistering pace. This is kind of like it feels like it's kind of caught in no man's land where the combat is kind of weightless and floaty in some ways, but also ponderous because it's still doing the like the attack timings and the different weapons have different weights and they have different fighting styles. And so like my reaction to it initially is like the combat isn't super involving and it isn't very challenging. And maybe it can't be because I think the controls are also a little bit wonky, but at the same time, it's not, like it's 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 not fast paced uh and it's yeah it's just kind of it's slow and ponderous is what i keep coming back to um and it feels like it should not be which is a mismatch for its tone right yeah. like the tone is is lightweight and speedy and i i don't i think most people are going to find the tone off putting like the writing does nothing for me it's attempts to you know like satirize like modern you know youtube streaming culture and like i just i i know i know what you're going for game just like none of it particularly lands but none of that landed in dead island either i don't need any of that and 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 if anything like drop the pretension and just just be your serious sam self right like be the arcadey zombie game that is fun to run around and fuck with these creatures and this game presents as that as though like these at least in the like six seven hours i've played there is no intelligence to the zombies whatsoever they are largely shambling ais who follow whatever noise or object you put in front of them it is dead island 2 is saying to you as the player communicating constantly this is a toy box this yeah. is not to be meant to be a game in which you are like re- like wildly overthinking what you're swinging or how you're swinging it's more here are a bunch of tools in front of you what are the ways that you can have fun with that given that you know hey if i cause an explosion over there the zombies are going to go there hey if 
there's a line of fire in front of me. I know that the zombies are going to run through this line of fire. And it's yeah. fun to watch seven zombies shamble through fire and die, especially if you've done the setup for all that. My problem is that maybe this changes later on. It's gotten a little bit better in the time that I've spent with the game. But it's just if those toys exist, they are being gated deep into the game or further than they should. Like this is a a game in which you are surrounded by water. Like, hey, you can knock over this pipe. You can toss this. Why are there 20 water cans all over the place? We're not sure. Well, it's there because... You have electrical weapons, right? Like you can craft electrical weapons and you can whack the ground. And so you can have a zombie approaching you. And if you've littered the water or there's a little bit of uh, a water just idly there already, when you collide with them with an electric weapon, they're going to shock. The ground's going to shock. It's going to bounce to other zombies. And that is cool as hell to watch and is very satisfying. But what I have found over and over is that it is difficult to find those moments of, oh, damn, like that felt like a good. A lot of this game is set up and payoff for yourself. Like you're almost creating jokes for yourself with the zombies in front of you because very rarely is the challenge actually what you are doing to fight and defeat them. And I think that can be totally fine if you've given the player an interesting set of tools to manipulate. Like, I don't know if different characters encounter things early on differently. Maybe you found Who this, Rob, you? but I well, no, but I can you manipulate fire? No, right. And maybe we've picked characters that don't get that opening setup. Like, I, I the first weapon I could craft was an electrical, you know, baton or, or whatever, and that allowed me to play with all this water. But then, as I'm going through the opening areas of the game, there's gasoline everywhere. Here's a gas can, there's a gas can, everywhere is a gas can, Rob. And it's the game telling me. Hey, you should be like, because you can pick up these gas cans and you can toss them, which will use like a physics engine to sort of like send gasoline spiraling around all over different zombies. Or you can like left trigger, right trigger, and you can kind of dump it and you can make a path. And I kept going, well, maybe there's like a hidden item, some sort of fire I can fuck with and I can't find it. And what's probably the case is that I'm going to come. This is a game where it wants you to sweep back later. You're going to find keys that open up safes, that open up blueprints. And I presuming the game is just has littered this stuff with things I can manipulate later. But as the player, it's just a huge bummer to come through and see two two out like base elements that you can mess with these zombies and just I can't do anything with one of them. And so this very obvious setup in front of me of like I should be able to light like seven of these fuckers on fire. I can't do anything. There's another setup that's really good where you're coming, you're coming up to this hotel and there's a, uh, there's a, a lake, um, where there are I don't, like 10 zombies in there and there is over to the side, you can pull a battery outside of this, uh, like charging station and then you can whip that battery into the lake and boom, watch a bunch of them go off. And I just want, have wanted way more of those moments in this game and, I just haven't had enough of them. And it, it's like maybe that exists on the other side once you get access to a suite of blueprints and you can kind of build to your heart's desire the kind of weapons that you want, which is where Dead Island went. But as it currently stands, it feels like a you sacrificed combat and AI in service of playing with these zombies. And, and frequently I'm just not having much fun <clears throat> with that part. 
Yeah, I am. Um, there are so many fights that I don't know. It just it's a lot of <coughs> running in kind of a circle. Yeah. And just whacking them in the face to just do crowd control until they eventually die. Like there's yeah. just so much of that. And and I think this is, the, this is the other thing where like because like so again, the Dead Island comparison is useful here. Dead Island like escape was always an option, frequently is your best one. And traversal was fun. It was it was really kind of the star of that game, right? Like it you was mean Dead Island or Dying Light. Dying Light, sorry. Yeah. Uh, dying like like. I think we should return to that because the notion of mobility and the relationship this game has to Dying Light is interesting. But what we can we can loop back around to that. Well, yeah, but like in so many of these fights, it's just like I can either bait the zombies off and 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 run away, like find a way to distract them using maybe the meat bomb or something. <laughs> it is a get out of jail freak. Like it is this cool. There are. I forgot they call, um, uh, I don't know the term the game gives to them. Curveballs, um, yeah. which is essentially these cooldown items. And for some reason, one of them is just like a bunch of shurikens that if you're lucky, it'll like lop off their heads. But that like Rob, that shuriken feels like a curveball that it should be like seven layers down. Like the options you give the player at the start of the game, not like, hey, this is the cool stuff you're going to be able to like do as the player like accidentally hit right bumper and throw three shurikens and like they land on the ground and you wait two minutes for them to like cool back up. Whereas the other one is, yeah, like this meat bomb that is very useful for these like setup and payoffs that you're doing where it's like, right. Hey, I've set up an, an electrical trap, toss it down and they just lumber, lumber their way there. Or it can be used to just, you know, get out of there. Yeah. But like, but in either, in either case, it's not like, taking off running is a, is a fun and exciting option because movement doesn't feel that good. <laughs> no, like no. it's you, like your character just sort of skates around the levels. Um, it's, it's again, it's kind of like a weightless feeling game. Does anyone know how to parry in this game? You don't, I don't. Oh my God. And, okay. And an, unna- and an unnamed third party, because maybe they figured it out by now, but I, I chatted with them. was like, do you have you figured out how to parry in this game? Like, I no. did it once by accident. Uh, Cause like, yeah, this is like, th- that's the other thing is like, you know, maybe a game is not totally, uh, put together when the in the opening tutorial encounters, it keep, you know, it keeps stopping the action to bring up a little tooltip and like, here's what you know, class, classic game mm-hmm. tutorial stuff. And there's a point where it's already taught you uh, dodge, which is effectively a sidestep or a backstep. You hit left bumper and a direction, and your character just sort of like jukes out of the way. Okay, fair enough, simple. And then it tells you now you can block, and if you time your block right. Uh, then you will get a stun on the enemy and be able to hit them for massive damage. Well, it tells you left block is left bumper, which is dodge. And so every time, like, there is no button that I could seem to be able to hit where it, like, person goes into a, a ready position. Uh, it, it just seems like my character dodges when I want to block. But then once... I apparently must have hit the left bumper just at the right moment because I did uh, parry a zombie and get a stun on it and have it like, you know, hanging there for me to. Well, there's no visual indicator, right? Like this is something we're supposed to interpret the animation as, it, as, as, the, as the creature goes through it. And I have not found that those I found this actually repeatedly in the game. And I'm someone that, you know. Pro, like essentially prides themselves in like feeling like I'm pretty good at like reading like platform, like a mirror's edge, like dying, like I was like, Hey, I can, I, I, so I picked an agility character, right? Like the game 
starts you with a set of characters that are broadly the same, but with like stats ranging in a couple of different directions that I think as far as I can tell are permanent as opposed to things you can upgrade over time that most of what you're upgrading as a, your character or like the weapons you have. And I was like, all right, I want to be able to like, like dodge and weave. And like, I'm going to just lean into that as my, as my character, um, which at least has allowed me to get around the not being able to figure out the, the parry timing. But I, you know, a decent number of hours into the game in, I'm still getting the dodging timing way off where I, I feel like I'm getting hit uh, in, in a way that does not feel, I, it doesn't feel right. It, like, it feels like, okay, that seemed like a cheap hit because I can't quite tell when is the game triggering the hit landing on me and when is a safe window for me to get out. And that's important for my character build because I'm, this game also has cards you're attaching to your character that will, based on like the skills you want to like use more often for your strategy, you know, you can double down on those and get like extra bonuses where, you know, like I, so I picked one that was like, Hey, a successful dodge is going to then like increase your attack and something else. So it's like, okay, well, if I'm leaning into dodges, I should get bonuses off those dodges and that'll stack my character in the way I want to go. But like, that's less useful if I don't feel like that window is being communicated by the game. And even the game, when it, so it's fine if the game doesn't want to actually put up indicators, like any sort of like UI element that will like, you know, turn a color or, or something that gives the player something to read other than the characters, the enemy's animations. But then there are moments, right, Rob, where like you'll get grabbed and you get these like kind of quick timey events, these button prompts. And like the way they are designed looks like what you'll see in many games where like a circle's going to fill and you're like supposed to time it. But as far as I can tell, you're supposed to mash the button that's in front of you and then you would escape the the enemy grappling you. But it's it's a it's a lot of confusing UI language to communicate or try to communicate basic concepts that I think compounds a lot of the issues that you and I are talking about, where it's just just doing the basic business of moving around attacking ends up not feeling great. And I'm I'm, I'm not always doing what I want to do in a game where you really need to be able to do that. Because that like is is the whole game because the story is threadbare. The characters are basically non-existent. And so the world and you as the character are everything this game is hanging on. And whatever frictions you're going to have to accessing that is 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 going to you know cause compounding effects. Uh, to that, like being able to gauge things like it, it could be just a field of view issue. But I constantly um, there's a bit of the. I don't know what's the what's the way to put it. I can't gauge distance very well once enemies get close, and so I'm constantly getting right. the fucking lunge grapple from zombies, and I got to do the mash X real quick and hit mm-hmm. right trigger to kick them off. And it's like the dis like they just sort of can glom onto me from a distance that feels too far off for a melee game. Yeah, and so I'm constantly like being taken out of any sort of like combat flow to like go do this QTE bullshit. Uh, and the game doesn't punish you much for getting grappled, which is good because it's so hard to to gauge this distance. But at the same time, maybe we shouldn't have had this be so much of a thing uh, because so so much of the the combat takes place at fairly short range, and it's not there. It's 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 not too far bet- before like there's not too big a gap between you whiffing on on strikes because your your reach is too short, and then them being able to just sort of like lurch in and grab you. And that is just like, again, not a super good feeling uh, aspect of the combat where so much of this should be about controlling these fights and, and feeling like you're sort of, uh, you know, dictating the terms to to the zombies. I will say 
I have enjoyed um, like the bigger weapons uh, that are like pole arms and such. I, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite things to do is to have the like cocked back like heavy attack. But with the longer reach weapons, you can just like spear zombies in the face from like, uh, you know, four feet away. And that's like that's kind of cool every time I land it where it's like, yep, yeah, basically like getting infinite headshots on zombies, but with like a spear. And that's fun. But again, you're going to see the same animation each time you do that. And it's a lot of it's a lot of repetition. And uh, it's weird. I think, you know, if you almost look at like uh, Dying Light 2 is it runs in this problem of like it doesn't just want to be a zombie game anymore. It doesn't just want to be a zombie parkour game. It wants to have a ton of variety, a ton of things you are doing, a ton of ways you relate to the world. And that becomes a problem because it sort of loses focus on what it's best at. And you're left to do a lot of like errands and chores in dying light Two, And this is like super focused on something that's kind of underdeveloped that like, it's just, it's, it's too narrow is, is kind of how it feels to me and ends up, uh, you know, even with my issues with, with dying light Two, I think the stones up comparing poorly. Cause it's just like, it's similar sort of com- sorts of combat, not as interesting in a game that's that's vastly less interesting. Right. And I have constantly found myself. I don't think this neat. Actually, I wish this game just had way more mobility stuff. Like it's more it's a game that frequently you feel like a tank. Like you just don't move very fast, even when you're running or you're uh, sliding. But that also has like it really wants you to engage in jump attacks, like jump and like hit one of the analog sticks to do a kick um, so that you can, you know, have, you know, different options for crowd control, but it just doesn't, that stuff feels a little tacked on. Like it doesn't feel natural to use in the flow of combat often enough, at least at the stage that, that I'm at. And I constantly found myself like, I, I sort of like what this game is trying to go for from a combat perspective. And even if it doesn't, it's not giving me the tools to achieve that. I'm, I'm like, I've been trying to give the game a break on that over and over, hoping that just by getting further, the tools will will open that up. But even along the way, all I want to do is navigate the spaces differently. Like, I just want the mobility of like a dying light here, even if it's not. Like even if the landmass is not as big, it's it is not meant to be an open world in that in that same sort of. But like, I want to like jump up like on these buildings and like because like the levels aren't that like high between the different areas. And instead, I'm like wandering inside to like find some stairs and like the the actual like navigation stuff that the game is giving you like from a in terms of like where to go from point A to point B like within a structure is not that good and often confusing. And and making that worse is. This game, it is normal for games like this, especially in open world games, to respawn enemies in. I don't know about you, Rob, but I feel like f- so frequently in this game, I like go into a room, turn around to like sweep through to see if I missed anything, and they've just dropped in three yeah. more zombies. And it's like, all right, I don't really w- want to do this combat again. I just did it. And especially in sequences where... I've already exhausted sort of the fun gimmicks to mess with them in the area. Like I just don't, I just run away from them and I don't, this isn't a game where you should be running away from combat. You should be excited to get in there and start screwing around with them. And, and too often I have found I am going around the combat. It's like, well, no, but that's what this game is. And the moment you start doing that, you're really losing the player 
hooking them on on the main thing. And also, there's a great question, Rob. I mean, you got any Alexa devices? Have those been? Um, have you? Uh, <laughs> you been, know, every uh, time hey, zombie, pops zombie. up a little notification that hey, you could be playing this with Alexa. I'm like, I could be playing this with Alexa. Maybe that'd be better. But then I think, <laughs> no, probably not. And also, then I'd have an Alexa listening to me all the time. There is just like weird. They clearly made a partnership with Amazon where just all the time the game is asking or reminding you that you could be using some sort of Alexa connected device to. I think you can like distract zombies. I don't even really know what the player can pull off because I don't I don't have an, a, our house is is Google stuff. I like to be monitored by Google. Um, that's why I've, I've, yeah. I've picked to be um, surveilled by. Uh, and it's just sort of, it's just goofy. Like, is it so clearly like a paid partnership opportunity that it just, fe- it feels weird. Like it feels just like oddly crammed in there does not feel relevant to this game specifically <laughs> at all. And yet is just, Oh, Hey, but no, every time you log in, does it hit you with a bunch of hey? Will you authorize this game to collect data? Blah blah blah. Does it does it hit you with that? He's done uh, it twice. Yeah, I feel like it, it was doing that until I said yes to the marketing stuff because I was just like <laughs> clicking through stuff and then I like I was like wait that one said marketing telemetry and I hit accept on it and then I was like well it's gone goodbye. But at the same time like was this game making me like opt in all the shit again and again until like the hey can we just uh, collect some marketing data? Uh, <sighs> while you play, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just that you know when when I was playing it earlier, maybe it was before it like you know uh, click to a live server or yeah. whatever. I, I I also do wonder. I think I am going to, you know, apologies if it doesn't actually end up happening. But I think I am going to propose that you and I stream and do this co op because it's not hard for me to imagine whatever this game's faults that it's. Like more fun. Well, the minute with you and the I running around it opens up multiplayer, it almost kind of admits that it's like, hey, this is <laughs> way more fun with a crew. And unlike, I mean, it would almost have to be. <laughs> well, it can't be worse, right? And I, and I actually don't even think this game is like. I've played far worse games. I think p- part of my disappointment it is more disappointment than anything else. Like, I don't think it's a particularly good game. I should be clear on that front, but for what I wanted from Dead Island 2. And actually, much of the marketing of this game was centered around, hey, remember how cool it was to dismember enemies in Dead Island? It's like, yes, I would love to play a next-generation interpretation of that concept. And this game just doesn't really deliver on that. I'm sure they have made systems that allow for, like, you'll do a big whack at a zombie and like, whoa, three of their limbs fell off. But like the most consistent way, at least, at this point of the game for me to ever engage with that system is to look at their feet, hold heavy and swing at their legs. And eventually you can sort of like cut them off at the knee, literally cut them off at the kneecaps. And, you know, it can maybe stop some zombies from crawling forward and you can trigger like this um, animation where you stomp on their skulls. But like I wanted a game, especially if they spent all this time building systems around it, where like, let me target the limbs, like for re- like strategic reasons. Um, and this game just doesn't have that. There's like this uh, one enemy called the Crusher, which is sort of a mid-boss type enemy um, where it's this big bruiser. He follows you kind of like a nemesis or Mr. Rex. He will not run. He is just walking towards you like slowly and has this move where he jumps up and slams the ground and kind of does this area of effect attack. Uh, 
And it can be kind of menacing, like when you're surround, like it's, it's, you know, where these games can work really well, where, okay, so there are 12 enemies that don't mean anything, but they suddenly do mean something when I have to run from this one enemy that will not leave me alone because I'm constantly running into them and, and having to, to worry about them. And I managed to, with a couple of attacks, cut off both of his arms. So you have this big brute whose whole bit is that I'm jacked as fuck and my arms are going to crush you. And all he can do is just sort of like imagine okay, Mr. Great. X. I kind of love that. Yeah. Imagine Mr. X, but no longer had his arms. Like what's this, what's this boy going to do? He's just a sad big boy now. He's going up the ladder and just like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I was just, so then I was just leading him around to these different like fire pits that he was walking through and eventually he crumpled down and I'm dying laughing. But I, I cut his arms off by accident. That wasn't like, Hey, I've got a cool idea. I'm going to take advantage of an enemy. And it's, and it's what the, what the the designers have created as like, Hey, this is primary means of attack. I'm going to disable that. And then this character can't do, this enemy can't do anything. Um, That's funny. But it was it was humor born out of accident as opposed to intent. And so often in Dead Island, you got humor out of intent, but also the systems collided for all sorts of accidents as well. And so this game is trying to do that as, you know, um, in, in the same vein, but it's just not it's just not succeeding in the same way. And so from from that perspective, especially, I think it is a. It is a poor game masquerading as a Dead Island too, because it just doesn't feel like it's a the successor in the way that I would have wanted. No, and I think if you're if you're in that situation where it's like the DNA for Dead Island One got turned into the Dying Light series, I think if you're gonna make you make the decisions you make with this game about tone and like what the vibe is going to be, you need to be looking toward Dead Rising. Yeah. And that is that needs to be your your frame of reference. If you're looking at like Fun sandbox. This game is just going to be a good old time where we're, you know, broad archetypes fighting, you know, brainless zombies. That's probably where you got to go. But instead, it just it just kind of feels like this. This game never, never finds its hook. But yeah, we, we should play a bit more bit together and see if like uh, one, I'm sure it'll just go faster and maybe we get to some good stuff faster. But uh, yeah, not right now. It's, it, you know, I like <sighs> it's a game I played because I have to. Right. It, yeah. It's not something I have picked up. Uh, I will. This is going to be a classic. Patrick's going to drag himself across the finish line on a game. Oh, no, that he Patrick. No. I just, but like, no. I, just, I just I love Dead Island so much. <laughs> this isn't even on an island. I know. Uh, oh, but Rob, hey. don't you want to do co-op and then have as uh, uh, you know, uh, an influencer on the roof tell you to kick six zombies off the roof. You want to do that with me, bro? Yeah, but not bro? till the end of the game. Not till credits. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we 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 should do that stream because I think we could extract some fun out of it. But I I would caution folks who are like e- even as much as I was cool on D- Dying Light Two, like Techland also supported the hell out of that game for like t- like still is like that's if you want your zombieing. Like there are better bets out there, and it's I just don't think it's I don't think it's this one, um, which is a profound disappointment for me personally. Has Mega Man Battle Network been a disappointment for you personally? <laughs> uh, yeah, I played I played a little bit on the airplane. I was at a golf outing for family uh, this weekend, and I, I played a little bit of uh, the Metal Man. Metal Man. Metal Man is. <laughs> So Mega Man 2, Metal <laughs> Man is definitely one of them. Um, Battle Network is like a RPG 
uh, grid-based thing. Kato, you're on this call now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm here. What is that? Do you remember that game that we, the demo that we played that was Battle oh, Network inspired? Oh, yeah. No, I don't. I remember it existing and was very much like, this is just we're taking, we want to make a game with that specific type of uh, uh, thing. Yeah, it was, it was one of the demo show. I think it was an Xbox demo showcase that we did last year. So I'll, yeah. I'll try and dig up what that game was because it seemed neat. But Battle Network is, you know, it takes the, um, I don't know where it fits in the Mega Man timeline. It doesn't matter. But like, basically, it's a, it's a grid-based um, like strategy RPG in which in the digital world, you're fighting these viruses and you move along um, a three by three grid on the left and right. So there's one for the enemies and one for the, for, for the player. Um, and you're like deploying different attacks, like, uh, you know, a cannon or a bomb and like enemies are moving along this grid. So there's like a, it's a combination of, of turn base in real time. Uh, and it's, it seems really neat. I really liked one of them, like back when they were, a bunch of these games came out in the GBA to begin with. And so I played Mega Man Battle Network 3 blue version. There's blue and white back when games were doing that all the uh, time, um, riffing on Pokemon. Wow. Um, just I just like picked Pokemon. blue because I like the color blue more. I don't know what difference it made in the game at all. And the, the, the long and short of it is that I, these games are still like really unique and interesting. And I like them in theory. But this collection doesn't have the same level of customizability that we have come to see from like very specifically Japanese, like like a lot of RPGs that we've seen where it's like, hey, you can like turn off the randomized battles like while you're going about the world. You can speed up different things. What this game has is, hey, man, you want to turn on like a one hit kill mode? And so it's like when I'm there's a sequence where. The, the character in the beginning, like a little past the tutorial is like trying to get past this uh, into this tournament. Um, and it's like, you got to go collect ABC item. And man, it's just like every seven seconds you are fighting the same three enemy types over and over again. It's not fun anymore. It's just a grind. And I would love to just turn that off and I'll just go collect the items and so I can move the story along. And the game doesn't give you that. The only option you have is to turn on your your like basic mega buster, like your basic attack um, that happens in between turns to just one hit kill every enemy, which <laughs> does make those fights end fast, but it still means every 15 seconds, if I take a wrong turn towards an item I'm looking for, I'm like, what? you know, I get the, the circle that takes me into fight and then I got to doot, doot, doot and I'm out, but it's still every one of those is 90 seconds. And over the course of like, I basically burned out on like my interest to revisit it by the end of the flight. It was like, well, these games are really cool, but I think the conclusion I was drawing was I I think I'd rather they made a new one <laughs> rather than revisit these old ones. But if you if you can have a tolerance for that, um, this does seem like an otherwise really well done collection that yet like many starts with the Vaseline like Ugh. like smear aesthetic that like they all apply to pixel. Uh, art for whatever reason and they just go in you can just switch it to the original art you know upscaled um but then yeah they're still out here they're trying to recreate the the like the soft glow of the crt yeah, like the, i don't I, yeah. yeah it just really looks like it's it's they just put a you know a uh kind of what's uh give me some uh blur options from photoshop like a gaussian blur yeah, yeah really that's the one that <laughs> comes to mind like yeah. really feels like they just like some, someone like misclicked on a photoshop image yeah. and then accidentally applied to all um but if you've seen any i mean it's very common this happens a lot when with these these uh 
sort of pixel art games from the eight and 16 bit era. They'll like put this gloss on it. It's like the, equi- it really feels like the equivalent of motion smoothing on, uh, in video game form. It's accomplishing something different, but I think like exists in the same <laughs> aesthetic category. Yeah. Following, look at that. Look at that I, was, I wasn't even looking for this. I was looking, I was searching for Mega Man Battle Network inspired Ugly. game Xbox to see if I could find yeah. that one we were talking about. And this was just an article that popped up because people are like, how do you turn this off? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's yeah, and I, however bad you may think that looks in still form, I assure you, it is a thousand times like it like made me feel oddly ill. It's like this is just <laughs> wow, horrible to look at. But then you just you fl- you know it's in the options menu and you and you flick it yeah, off. But yeah. um, yeah, I I I would be reluctant to recommend this necessarily to folks who don't have existing nostalgia for these games. But if you do. Um, there are at least some options to get through a little speedier. I just wish that customizability went a little deeper so that I could just kind of putz along in the game a, a little, a little faster than, than I was. But otherwise uh, it seems like a pretty decent collection of games. Now, Patrick, something I know you have tons of nostalgia for is dreams. dreams. How are you, how are rip, you handling, rip. uh, the fact that they are, <laughs> they're winding support down for dreams, I guess. Yeah, they had a blog post that was probably pretty honest that like Dreams was a Dreams is a creative tool. Um in, in the way that Media Molecule, you know, the Little Big Planet developers have, you know, it was kind of an evolution of the where the Little Big Planet was essentially like a set of creative tools to make kind of, you know, like platforming things that people then used to make all sorts of things, you know, calculators and all sorts of different genres. Dreams was a more, a bigger extension of that with all sorts of different tool sets um, to create, just really just look up anything on, on YouTube, uh, look for dreams and you are, uh, you, you will find some just truly spectacular, um, uh, not just like recreations of existing sort of IP and things like that, but also just um, amazingly unique uh, individualized stuff. Dreams was just a wonderful tool and it was just unfortunately stuck on the PS4 and it never got ported to PS5. Um, it, I was desperate for them to, to do a PC version because I think the PC community would have gone just bonkers for, for mm-hmm. the, the tool sets that were here. Um, and instead they are just winding down support in general. The game's not going to get any more updates. They're not going to update it for PS5 or PSVR 2. Um, they're going to keep the servers up, but they're like putting a cap on the file limits so that players, um, like, you know, some players have created like things that are just enormous and they're just not going to allow them to do that. Existing things will stay. They won't be removed, but, uh, they're moving on to some, some other, some other project and, uh, dreams uh, too. That will actually not be. Dream, they explicitly <laughs> said not dreams too. They said we are not doing oh, dreams. I mean, damn. dreams too. I mean, dreams was by, by all accounts, a, complete flop mm. for sony as a company i mean it would it's, it's an exceptionally cool tool but media molecule was working on that for like the better part of a decade and it didn't make much of an impression beyond the community that was the community that it found it's beloved but like that community is is small right. um mm-hmm. admittedly so that that is a bummer right it, it feels like um there was never a great way uh, like that you, you have, you have a creative tool that people are creating amazing things in, but fundamentally you were selling dreams and not necessarily, you couldn't sell those games, right? You couldn't sell people on like, Hey, somebody's making a really cool X in dreams. You should go play it. I mean, you could do that, Patrick. Uh, and, and tell right. There was no like, external, like it need. Yeah. What it really needed was an ability for people to play dreams games. I can't believe it. It needed more platform dreams. capitalism. 
<laughs> Waypoint finally pro platform capitalism. Yeah, it's a weird thing, but it's, it's a bummer that does seem like it's going to be kind of a uh, hobbled version of itself uh, moving forward. But that's better than it like, hey, we're nuking it. I'm sure yes. that announcement comes in a few years. <laughs> yeah, most likely. Um, yeah. And, you know, and it, and it comes alongside here, um, as, as we've noted in our in our notes that the like longtime media molecule uh, creative director, you know, co-founder of the studio going all the way back to the you know original little bit planet days. Um, uh, uh, Marcos Healy has has left, um, which maybe just signals a, a pivot. And, you know, I wonder if it means a pivot in terms of like I doubt media molecule was going to maybe get the same long leash they got with dreams maybe they will have something that's a little more focused and like you know ships within a more reasonable time frame for their next game i don't know sony tends to give their studios a a lot of leeway um and media molecule has like really epitomized that alongside the polyphony digital team like i feel like those are the two teams that sort of get the opportunity to do whatever they want um but alongside that there's a this has not been explicitly confirmed um and ren i'll be i'll be curious to to make what you think of this, presuming it, it pans out, um, is that Halo's franchise director, Frank O'Connor, um, has, has updated their LinkedIn uh, page to note that they uh, no longer uh, work at Microsoft, despite having been there for 20 years. Uh, Frank O'Connor, um, it was really like the face of the public face of Bungie in a lot of ways, has been there mm-hmm. through, you know, the company's sale to, to Microsoft and then decoupling from Microsoft and then through um, uh, and then went over to 343 um, to essentially like help build the studio that would work on Halo once Bungie was going off to do uh, Destiny um, and has really been sort of a consistent part of what the Halo franchise is for better and worse, um, depending on how you feel about that franchise. And um, given all the changes that have been happening at, um, you know, 343 specifically uh, recently, Perhaps it is not totally shocking that if like there are ma- massive changes underway in a post infinite world, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose infinite will continue to be supported multiplayer, especially, but whatever is the next big halo project, which will happen. Um, maybe it is not shocking that the people who have watched halo go through some pretty turbulent times um, in the last 10 years or so are no longer part of that. But like Ren, does this, does, does Frank leaving like leave any impression on you? I- I mean, it feels weird, right? Because for as long as I have been playing these games, that is a name that I have associated with, um, with Halo, right? Like that is, that is like, as someone who cares about this franchise and has for a really long time, that does feel like a little bit of a big deal to me, right? I like, like I remember reading interviews with O'Connor around like a bunch of different releases, um, as it's gone on. And it feels weird to have like such a major figurehead like that completely, disengage from a project but like it also makes sense right like halo is fundamentally right now in a in a pretty weird place um and it has been for the last few years and i wouldn't be surprised if like a figurehead like that would be exhausted by having to manage a franchise that has been like not in death throes but like not doing particularly well for a really long time and also like you know I think that once you've worked on Halo for 20 years, you kind of have uh, free reign to leave the industry and go to an industry that would probably pay you better, right? Like that is that is the other thing that's happening that 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 feels like that I think of when I when I look at the situation is that like yeah you you can just go at this point you've well you've, at that you've paid tier you can probably tax. 
at that tier, you get pre- paid pretty damn well in this industry. And my suspicion, yeah. like, I feel like at, at that level, the other thing you're keenly aware of is there's people lined up, even even with sort of the, the weird place that, like, uh, you know, the economy is at in particular with regard to, like, lending. But there's still people probably lined up ready to give you money to start a studio of your own and like start a project. Like, I mean, every single blizzard vet who bounced basically is now helming their own studio. Uh, All the people who bailed on for access over the last few years have like launched their own studios. So I would also not be surprised if maybe you're not burned out on working in the industry, but boy, you would love to not work on a halo game (laughs) and, (laughs) and be responsible for like, uh, like, Imagine making a game where people don't ask you questions like, how are you going to honor the legacy of yada, yada, yada? Now, if right. Frank O'Connor never has to answer a question about split screen ever again, I think he will die a happier man. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and I, cause I think that is that is part of that legacy that you mm-hmm. have to burden when like you were especially like a, a face like Frank for the time that he was. And also, I don't think it's a shock. Like I was reading through this Eurogamer piece, you know, uh, about O'Connor and it's like we have like. Bonnie Ross, you know, the head of 343, you know, has left after after 15 years. Um, uh, Joseph uh, Staten, Staten, um, uh, who was uh, a former Halo director, kind of came parachuted into Infinite after being on the Microsoft side um, to try and like help turn that game around after it's like really like poor public unveiling uh, ahead of the, the launch of of the new Xbox. Then he went back to Microsoft after Infinite launched and then is exiting. And so there's a lot of high profile people that I don't think them all leaving at the same time. I think it indicates that like a new project idea is underway. And if you're staring down the barrel of, but we just got done with infinite, which was clearly an extremely long slog and any game by the most conservative estimates, if you are making Mm -hmm. something at the scale of like a, a big project like halo is five years, right? Like that's everything goes right. Like things work out well, like you are looking at bare minimum, like four to five years for that game gets out the door. And it's like, do you really, is this what we want to do again? And so I can definitely see it being a mutual parting on all sides of just exhaustion after a long, difficult project that (laughs) it looks like very few people, um, probably even the people that worked on it are especially happy with. And then starting up a new one. You know, maybe you do want some new leadership, some new creative folks um, helming that, if only to hopefully give that series a, a shot in the arm. And I guess that's the thing I would wonder, like, there's been a lot of conversation of like, what is what is Halo after this, right? Like, Infinite probably continues going forward, like, it's fine, they'll do their seasons, it maybe it's not going to take over the world, but like, there are people that are going to want to just play Halo, and like so infinite will just kind of be off on its own there mm-hmm. like ren like do you have any thoughts on like what what is if like you were like in those meetings listening like i don't know like what what would you want halo to be especially if you're thinking about what this game has to be five you know years from now it's not like mm-hmm. what is we're shooters now what does halo mean in that context it's like what does halo mean you know at the tail end of this generation most likely um if they're lucky I mean, I think it's really hard because, like, the version of Halo that I actually wanted, they did before and then they fucked off from it. Right? Like, <laughs> like Halo 4 5, right? No, well, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about Halo 4 and 5. I'm talking about ODST and Reach. Mm-hmm. ODST mm-hmm. and Reach were 
like the peak of that series to me, right? ODST is is better at storytelling than any other game that came before it in the franchise. And a jazzy soundtrack. I it's mean, we cannot argue soundtrack. with the jazzy soundtrack. What if you have no interest in Halo, everyone just loves New Mombasa. Still listen to that soundtrack. It's so fucking good. Everyone loves New Mombasa. Um, <laughs> all my friends are that, always talking about their love of New Mombasa. Everyone uh, loves New Mombasa. <laughs> uh, and so, New Mombasa fucking rules. And Halo Reach was a really terrific, like, snapshot into a particular moment in this world. And, like, it gives you an idea of, like, what it means to, like, interact with other characters. Uh, and, like, what what does it mean to be someone in this world who is not the Master Chief? The guy they call the Master Chief, right? And, like, that was such a engaging version of what Halo could be. Especially with, like, ODST play, putting you in, the like, the shoes of an ODST instead of a Spartan. Uh, and then five, despite everyone's beef with it, I, I like Spartan Locke. You know, I like I liked that guy. I think that that was a well done performance of like a charming shithead, right? He was like a little shitty guy, and I liked it. Um, and then Infinite comes out, and they return to like this foundational narrative, uh, or like this like old like, you know high space fantasy narrative where they're like finding a new ancient race to fight I know. again. Just here's another like, one. <laughs> like ancient race number four. Like, Let's go. Yo, we did this. <laughs> I like those books. I like the dumb bullshit. I like reading the wiki articles, but we've done this. We did that. And you know what? They were like mostly successful at it from a mechanical perspective. And I don't know if I trust them to do that again, because like, you know, say what you will about the Prometheans as uh, uh, narrative devices. They're totally fun to fight in combat. They have, like, fundamentally different rules to the Covenant, right? If the Covenant is about breaking energy shields and then landing shots with kinetic weapons, that is the core of fighting the Covenant, then uh, the Prometheans were all about uh, hitting with any weapon, but at very specific points in the body uh, in a way that is, like, I guess, like, Destiny-esque. Like, this is something I now associate with Destiny, where, like, you know, the Vex have a fundamentally different weak point system than, you know, the Cabal do. And, like, that's makes them engaging and different to fight. Um, I'm like, I don't know if I'm interested in doing that with guys that look like people. I'm just, I'm <laughs> just not. And, like, that is what the new alien faction looks like. And I think that they put themselves in a really hard spot where, like, they have decided that they need to be obsessed with the story of the Master Chief because they got in trouble for doing it wrong with Halo 5 instead of just saying, fuck it, we're an anthology series now. I think it was the wrong lesson to take away. I'm 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 with you. It's like my problems were Halo 5 or not. I needed I needed to get back to the chief and Cortana. Like But for some it was, people it was it different was. than that. Yeah. But or, like, that's or at least the that's problem. the most that's the easiest way. That's the easiest way to like try and think convince yourself to bring a certain contingent of Halo fan back into the to the fold is just to revisit that storyline and find a new way of repackaging essentially like a story we've already told now obviously like you know the you know cortana's like whole arc and i mean there's things that are different but it just felt like you were going through the motions except now here's here's my question because you're you're a better authority on this than than i would be is i now consider i would i'm obviously a pro grappling hook right like that is just me at my core yeah do we consider grappling hook now core to Halo. Yes. Would a grappling hook come back? Yeah, right? It has to come they, back they in have the next to, one, Because right? as someone who played a lot of the Infinite campaign and liked and it I a liked lot. And I liked the Infinite campaign. Like, kind of even narrative stuff aside, it was so much fucking fun. 
to have that grappling hook. And also like the grappling hook became like essential in multiplayer, right? When I was like playing mm. a lot of infinite multiplayer, the grappling hook is like one of the most satisfying fucking things on the planet because like there is, uh, uh, Halo remains and like infinite remains like a near perfectly designed first person shooter. Like I, I cannot <laughs> imagine a first person shooter hitting better than Halo Infinite did for me because like, using a grappling hook to swing from one side of a multiplayer map literally through the entire central walkway of that map, through this like big open area, flying through it with the uh, new Brute pistol, the Spiker, Mm -hmm. which is this like incredible six-shot revolver that fires these like big heavy spikes. Firing a shot mid-flight while you're using the grappling hook, breaking someone's shields and then finishing them with a melee is like some of the most satisfying shit that I have ever experienced in a video game. And they got it perfectly. They got it perfectly. And like, okay. I just want to see I just, them. yeah, I was hoping that the the more, you know, authoritative Halo fan here would align with me on that. And like, <laughs> and, you know, am yeah. I allowed to a- a- express anger and disappointment in two years when they announce the Halo, whatever, they can't. And there's no grappling hook. I'm on, I'm put me on, I'm signing, I'm signing the petition, petition.org, put that grappling hook in. Like you got Patrick's <laughs> signature. I will say this, Patrick, I don't think they can, because if the, if the series has done one thing, if Halo has done one thing consistently since Halo CE, it's that like, once they put something new in the toolkit, they will only ever iterate upon it and never mm. really remove it with the exception of dual building. Dual building is the only thing that they have put into your toolkit and then taken out later. Um, and I believe they, yeah, they're 85% sure it's back, right? Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, it's don't slipping know. my mind, but. But either way, like you're, you're, you're like the, the broader point stands that they, when they tend to add a feature, they right. iterate on it as opposed to doing giant but but if there was a time to do something like that would it not be this transitional moment here's the thing patrick every one of these games is a fucking transitional moment like like people have been saying this would be the transitional moment for the last like two decades right like oh like reach this is a big transitional moment this is a game that isn't about the master chief and was it no it was not Halo 4, we're passing on to a new studio. It's 343 Industries and not Bungie. This is going to be a big transitional moment. And was it? Not really. Halo Infinite, this is going to be their bold shift in the franchise, moving it from a, you know, series of uh, individual campaigns and like all like a a traditional game structure to a platform service model. This is going to change everything. And it didn't, right? Like these, these transitional moments have... Halo is a series that has never taken advantage of its tradition of its transitional moments uh, or what people believe will be transitional moments and instead focuses on like iterating rather effectively with the central mechanics that they have that they established in Halo 1 and have not really fucked with since then. I think that would be re- I would find again I'm not you know maybe I'm not the core Halo audience but I feel like the ideal scenario is like let Halo Infinite's multiplayer, like, let there be a Halo classic. Like, this is as good as this version of Halo ever got. And then we're going to go over here and we're going to take some risks because I just cannot fathom. Well, I can fathom, actually. I can fathom just announcing a new, shinier Halo with another fucking ring planet and doing this all over again in three years. I can definitely imagine watching that. Oh, I'm like Xbox it right Direct now. or whatever. 
I'm huh? fathoming it right now, and I'm great at fathoming it. <laughs> I guess I'm just <laughs> hoping, like, because of all this change. I mean, you're right. Like, they're having a lot of these moments in the past. I mean, and I feel like Gears of War is stuck in a similar place, but just happens to be a more consistent um, uh, franchise. Um, but just, they haven't taken a single risk. Like, what I would consider, like, something high risk since, like, the like the heydays of the Xbox 360. And boy, like this would seem to be the moment. And I just, I, I'm, you're right. Like the, the, if you were taking betting odds, you'd bet against it. Um, hey, Gears at least managed to move on from generations. Like it used to, it managed to be like the original squad. Their story is done. We're in a different era now. Mm-hmm. If you go back to that era, maybe you'll do it in a tactics game. I would certainly be interested in another Gears tactics too. Let's just yes. do it one <laughs> but and and by the way, that's also my that is my blueprint for Halo Victory. Is the next like Xbox Direct like. You know, a bunch of title cards appear on the screen together, right? Like Halo Wars 3, <laughs> Halo Fleet Battles, ODST 2, uh, sorry, OD2T. Oh, wait, no, wait, Rob, can we get one more pass at that one? OD2T. Okay. All right, I'm coming around on it. And, of course, eventually it'll be OD5T. OD5 we'll just have to make a That's bunch a, of games yeah. like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, oh, the, the ODSD cinematic there'll be some, universe. There'll be some new creative director who's like, please stop asking about the legacy of the ODST games. <laughs> and it's like, no, we all love them now. Like, they're second only to the Halo Fleet Battles series. <laughs> Halo Fleet Battles. <laughs> That's, that name I've got Waypoints willed some things into an existence And I Oof. want Halo Colon fleet battles Yeah Yeah we, we can space, see it let's, Space was battlefields <laughs> Let's all Let's all put oh my god Yeah no and it's like there's a captain But then obviously mm-hmm. the Steven Maturin Is your AI mm-hmm. Like that is that that is Like mm-hmm. just imagine homeworld But just modded with halo ships Fucking yes absolutely let's go uh, And on that beautiful Note <laughs> let's go to break And remember Waypoint Plus listeners Get this podcast ad free learn more At waypointplus.com and see how You can fill this break with nothing but Silence and cool tunes So, uh, the past week or so, uh, I've been playing a tactics game, uh, War Tales. This is by Shiro Games, who made Northgard, and, uh, oh gosh, I forget what their, like, Diablo-style game was. It was really good. It felt a little like they didn't quite finish it off, and they made, uh, they're making, uh, Dune, Dune Spice Wars, but War Tales is... I guess my point of reference for it would actually be a game that I'm not sure a ton of people are familiar with, but uh, there was a very cool tactics game a few years ago, Battle Brothers. And it had, it was like grim, dark, low fantasy. Uh, it was, but it had this really unusual little style where all your characters were little busts 
uh, on a on a hex map. So they didn't have like arms or legs. They were just like little expressive faces that if mm-hmm. you put like a metal helmet on it, it's a bus got a little metal helmet. <laughs> yes. But the thing is, <laughs> I'm looking at these screenshots. You're really Post. you're you're if anything underselling it. Um, this is incredible. <laughs> this is this is fucking astounding. Oh Look at these guys. And y'all, these guys have the same energy as the marginalia in illuminated manuscripts. Like it's not the same yes. style, yeah. but it is the same energy. Where I look at that and I go, oh. Well, who's you know who's a big fan of that game? Scott Sawyer. Also, who's you, that tiny gentleman? You gotta describe. It's a bus. Literally, no arms, legs, tor- like lower torso, but they're still holding things somehow. <laughs> like there's little floating shields and uh, shield pigs bow and, and arrow, bow and yeah. arrows floating next to them. <laughs> and by the way, like you know, this is an amazing tactics game. If you have not played it, and you're like, I want a tactics game to just like kick me in the teeth. And like I like and have just all sorts of wild shit happen. Like Battle Brothers is the place to go. Like, Damn, Rob, should I play Battle Brothers? You should pick up Battle Brothers. Like a lot of people should pick up Battle Brothers uh, because <laughs> it's so the conceit there. And I promise this is all going to also set the table for War Tales as we go. But it's a useful point of comparison. The conceit here is that you are running a mercenary comp- company in a yeah grim dark low fantasy setting. So like magic exists, but like mages are not just wandering around looking to join join your party right like mm-hmm. you are basically grunts out there and you are taking uh, a lot of shitty missions and because it's like you know again it's not a super magical feeling world so when people get fucked up in a fight it's not like you're like i will use my elixir of healing to put your eye back <laughs> in its socket yeah no you like, won't a character gets gouged in the face and like loses an eye. They have a permanent like stat debuff for being one eyed. Yeah, someone, I bet they do. <laughs> if someone gets like massive head trauma, uh, that isn't so good for your cognitive capacity. And like, boom, stat debuff. Uh, if somebody is like has their knee shattered. I mean, they can still stand in a battle line, but don't expect them to like pirouette through, uh, you know, through through the battle and be like a blizzard of blades here. They're not dervish anymore. And so juggling all that is is really fun. Keeping your party paid and fed is really fun. Also, that game did a great job of. uh, Like, yes, a lot of times, like in some of these screenshots, you see them fighting like armies of other humans, like standard medieval armies. But like. You know, sometimes you get a contract, you got to go into the necromancer's forest. Mm. And then you discover that fighting armies of the undead, particularly skeletons, requires different tactics. And there's certain things that are really good uh, against, like, human armies that fail miserably against armies that don't uh, have flesh and don't know fear. Great game. uh, Very cool vibe. Also, like, kind of sometimes, like, some low key edgelord vibes. Like, uh, it, it is a world where it's like, you know, grim men must do grim men's work and peasants <laughs> must suffer and women never heard of them. Uh, <laughs> like, there's there, there's a bit of that, but like, the, it's it's uh, a Robert really Lee. great run based tactics game. Yeah. Also, I believe the word, the word you were looking for was maidens. Thank you very much. <laughs> True. What there are not are no, there are no battle sisters. Uh, maybe maybe we got battle sisters in a later expansion, much like 40K handled this shit. But uh, either way, uh, so that that is Battle Brothers. War Tales is a bit like that. You were, again, taking over a mercenary company. Again, it's a little bit like 
uh, low fantasy. And I think maybe the difference is it isn't quite as punishing as uh, as Battle Brothers is maybe less focused on like it has run based modes. You can like turn on Iron Man and such. But for the most part, like it's it's happy to be played as a game where you're like, that didn't go well. I'm going to reload and fix that. And if you win ugly, there are things in the game that for the most part will fix up the issue. So like if characters are wounded in a fight, unless you can get them a healing elixir, they will have things like this person's ankle is broken. Like they're just not going to move as well during the fight. But once you get a little potion on them, they're, they're fine. Everything can be fixed up. Mm-hmm. But the, the core loop of this thing is you are in this sort of uh, war torn land. There's some major conflicts going on and you are a low level, like mercenary troop. And you are, you know, you take missions. It's, it's very basic. You go to the mission board at, at inns, for instance, and take a bunch of like procedurally generated assignments and go like find groups of bandits or go find uh, like monsters layers and go, you know, deal with whatever you find there. You come back and uh, you collect your reward. But what makes it interesting is that, again, every week you have to pay your mercenaries. And if you are. Like you go through an overworld map that takes time to traverse like travel is not easy. Frequently, it takes about a week just to get to like your mission location. Mm -hmm. And so you end up like really in a sort of precarious, like just head above water state where, you know, you are doing jobs almost to keep your mercenaries uh, paid and happy. And if you don't do that, they will like maybe they'll get unhappy. There will be penalties in combat or they will leave your party and take their experience with them. Uh, but things you can do to make life easier and give yourself more resources is all your mercenaries can also get professions. And so when you camp at night, you have your little tinkerer uh, mercenary do little tinkerer tasks, uh, you know, fixing up armor or building like items. Uh, you have your cook cooking delicious meals that raise everyone's spirits and turn like low value raw food into like big filling meals. So it's like more efficient uh, to sort of feed people that stuff. Uh, And all of that is in between like squad combat and the way the like it's a square grid system. And it, I I feel like I'm seeing this to increasing degree now in tactics games. It feels definitely feels like a trend. Your characters have classes that give them a move set but then different weapons and items will also come with special moves that become possible. So like if you have a, uh, like I think a brute character like tends to carry a big, heavy, uh, you know, two handed weapon that really wrecks people. They will have just a natural, uh, you know, <laughs> just they will have a go fuck people up ability that is inherent to their class. And they'll like launch a flurry of attacks at enemies in the area. But they will have different attacks available to them as well, depending on if they have, for instance, a battle axe or like a heavy cudgel. And where things get a little wrinkly in this is a ton of your best attacks are not targeted on enemies. They're targeted on um, areas. areas. Yep. And friendly fire is a big thing in this game. So like there's a like the, the real 
knotty problem that comes up in fighting these battles is a lot of times your most powerful attacks will wreck any any friendlies caught in the blast zone as it were and so you're always trying to manipulate the fight so that like your bruiser characters are exposed to tons of enemies but your friendlies are not exposed to your bruiser characters and so on and so forth well also because i've also put time into this uh, your characters have relationships with one another. Yeah. And they will get fucking... Hey, it turns out if you smack the shit out of your friend, they are not going to be happy with you. If you fire an arrow at an enemy and you have a guy standing near them, there's a 25% chance that arrow is going to be embedded in Eric's shoulder. And like, Eric is not going to be happy about it. He's going to well, be having a very bad day. And it'll affect their relationship with, yes, the archer. But then also it creates now there's a possibility for knock-on events where it's like, oh, they're going to get an entire trait set out of this. Yep. Uh, that's about their complex around not trusting their fellow mercs. Right. So like uh, one of my characters, Zada, uh, is, a, is an archer. Uh, who is um, who has the glorious trait, which she yeah. got by killing someone in the middle of a fight, which generates a universal resource for all of your has a chance to generate a universal resource for all of your characters. Um, is it the valor that, that, point? Is that what yes. they're called? Yeah. Yes, they are, they're called valor points. And then, which is a key uh, thing, all the cool abilities with, uh, we're mentioning here generally are powered by valor. Yeah. Uh, there's like basic abilities that don't. Uh, like cost any valor, but like your your best buffs and debuffs uh, need to be powered by valor points. And you can earn those on the battlefield uh, by doing some moves or, you know, you can you can build that resource or you can spend it. But you do need to sort of juggle it. Yeah. And then the other thing is that I that I do think is fun is that uh, a lot of games, when you complete a quest, you just get that money. Uh Nope, you gotta Brutal. walk all the way fucking back over there to get that money. Uh, if you if you would like to be able to actually spend it, like I found a quest in the middle of the world that was like there are some refugees. Boy, this game has a lot of refugees in it, and the world treats them in a fascinating way. Uh, and it was like, hey, uh, I need some help. I can't afford to stay at this place, and so I was like, I'll buy this farm for them. Because I want to be nice. Uh, and so I did a mission. And then I had to walk like three days back to uh, the place where that I got the mission. Cheap. That farm is not cheap. It costs a hundred bucks. Man. Fuck that guy. I know, but I didn't want to be wanted, Rob. So I but the thing is, I, I do wonder about this. So when you do things that like arouse suspicion, you get a kind of like a heat meter resource that you're building up. And if it hits certain points, there will be like guards dispatched. We identified as bands of outlaws. Oh, by the way, like metagame stuff, there's like four tracks that you can follow. There's like the combat track, the adventure track, the merchant track. If you just like want to turn your party into master craftspeople who bring trade goods from town to town and like are barely mercenaries and are mostly just like a roving factory warehouse that pulls into different ports, you can do that. Uh, (laughs) And as you do things that suit those different tracks, those play styles, uh, you unlock abilities in those tracks. It's, it's very Crusader Kings 3, honestly, in terms of uh, the way like character skill trees and then family legacy trees are built out. Uh, but yeah, like the the fact that you have to like return to base to turn in for money uh, to, to, to pay off your mercs. 
is it makes the account like it makes it really tight. Like, especially because again, the, well, this is this is this is another tension that I think is really fun that the game introduces. Because like I think one of the real pleasures of this game is this is a merc management game. Uh yeah. in a way that's really fun because one of the most expensive things you can do is you can go to the apothecary in town and be like, give me the cure all medicine. Every single one of those is 39 gold. Your average go wreck a group of bandits uh, mission is about 150 gold. Oh, I've gotten like 200. Interesting. What difficulty? Yeah, I mean, there, there's like, it's not much. Like there's a ton that are 150. I've gotten a couple that are 200, but like wages are not high. And so you start thinking like, you know, it'd be good to have in this party. An apothecary. <laughs> I should. What I should do is I don't like I, but I don't want to lose like my blacksmith. I don't want to lose my tinkerer. I should hire another mercenary. But now you have another mouth to feed. Now you have another person to like make payroll for. And they will not be a good apothecary for a while. So you're going to be carrying them around trying to build up their skills at like being able to craft that medicine. But once you do that. Uh, rather than paying the apothecary 39 gold for every single dose of this medicine, you could craft that medicine out of, uh, you know, things you find out in the wild. And so that becomes another big part of this is like developing the sort of craftiness of your of your party mm-hmm. in a way that will uh, work out as a net positive financially, because, again, the more people in your party the more of a burden it is to make payroll each time because now, you know, instead of, you know, instead of only like, you know, 80 gold washing out every week, now you're looking at like 200 gold washing out every week. Mm -hmm. And so now you are being pushed toward those harder missions because it's just, you are limited in how many missions you can take. And so now you're looking at it and you're like, I don't know that it's it's good enough business to wander around the countryside looking for these three bandit gangs and all total, that's going to bring in like 500 gold, but that's like more than a week of travel uh, to deal with that. Maybe I should take tougher stuff, Yeah, but the tougher stuff gets pretty tough, pretty fast. Um, I, so right now I'm in the middle of a deal with a plague rat nest. Oh no. Mission. Oh, that doesn't and sound good, Rob. No, it, it doesn't. It's 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 pretty gross, if I'm being honest. Uh, they they definitely they definitely like. I don't know that it's um, play tale like levels of gross, but like they're they're definitely pulling a bit from that inspiration of like rats can be creepy crawly, and that's what we're dealing with here. But in that mission. They do something bordering. I mean, you don't have to do this, but it's sadistic for somebody of my uh, makeup and character. You could just kill the broodmother rat. She will spawn in tiny rats every turn. They'll swarm you every time they do that. Your guys will get plagued every time they strike your guys. You'll get plagued. Uh, So like real issues with crowd control there. Or. You could go to these like uh, I forget what they're called, but there's like these little like shrines or or things around the level, just little like I don't know plague piles, let's call them, and they have a ton of hit points. And for each one you destroy, you get bonus goodies and rewards. And there's nine on the map, 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously the most efficient, like the, the, the way to maximize the outcome from taking the plague, uh, you know, the, the plague rat quest would be to hold off killing the broodmother and instead go around the map, killing all these like emitters. But you're going to be swarmed by rats throughout that entire thing. Uh, so it's going to be very, very hard. And that is like, that's the first quest where I've seen like, okay, they're, they're now introducing real trade-offs. They're trying to force you off of like your most conservative strategies. Because uh, I was starting to hit a point where I was getting a really standard operating procedure for taking down gangs of humans. And it was getting pretty trivial. And so it does look like they're, they have found ways through other enemy types and through other, through other mission structures to sort of force you off your most efficient go-to strategies, which I really like, but also I basically threw away my Sunday night on this fucking mission because I was like, I know I can get a few of these, a few of these emitters and then (laughs) I can get the, the room and I really can't, I shouldn't even try. I should just go kill the, the, the rat queen, but I just can't. I'm like, I can, I, each time I fail, I'm like, I feel like I get closer and the next time I can do it. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a game that I was a little cool on to start. I am finding it is getting its hooks into me. I'm liking the whole the whole loop of taking the missions, like developing my squad, like doing the craft stuff, going to camp every night. Uh, and I also kind of dig you mentioned the refugees thing. Something I appreciate here is like, by and large, like there's a uh, there's a bleeding liberal heart at the heart of this game in some ways because by and large, uh, this is a game where like there's no like bands of bandits and ruffians do not just materialize in the out of the ether for mercenaries to go grind for experience. What you wander into uh, in the opening area of this place, uh, Tilton, uh, like Tilton County, is this border county next to a kingdom that is currently like, uh, you know, under being invaded. There's like everyone in that country is being pressed into military service. Uh, the, the land is being devastated by the war. And so uh, Tilton or Tiltron, I can't remember which one it is. Ren, is it Tiltron? It's Tiltron. Tiltron. Every like... The county is uh, being flooded with people fleeing that war. And what you discover is that all the people in Tiltron have basically uh, become like right wingers. Just ultra cons like ultra. Yeah. It, it, it's ins- <laughs> it is insane how much these people actively and openly hate refugees. They won't it's hire fucking, the refugees. They won't trade with them. Uh, and then as the refugees are like starving out there because they've like got nothing and nobody will deal with them, they are taking to thieving uh, and robbery. And so now the locals are like calling out the guard and they're calling out the mercenaries to go like suppress uh, these bandit gangs. But yeah, like, so this is a game where like, yes, there's still going to be random bandit gangs that exist that you, that yeah, you just do go do the mission and you kill a bunch of bandits and that's that. But one of the first things you stumble across, for instance, is on the one hand, the local cops are paying you to go wipe out a criminal gang and you go, you go over to the cave where they're hiding, and they're like, well, yeah, what were you supposed to do? Like, nobody will trade with us. Uh, we don't want to be, like, ripping off farmers, but we have no choice. 
But maybe if you killed the guards, uh, the farmers wouldn't feel like they can just sick the sick the cops on us and would be forced to deal with us, uh, deal with us fairly. It was a bit of a leap, but you know, I I was certainly I'd seen enough, and I was like, you know, let's go, let's go after the guards. And so I've I've kind of thrown in on on team refugee uh, here, and there's now a quest line devoted to like helping out the refugees and stuff yeah. that's that's happening there. But what what what's kind of nifty is like the way it is getting at the sense of all the familiar components of like fantasy medieval setting convention are there, but they're like just a little bit more thought through. Where it where it is like, no, this stuff is not like the groups of enemies and the out groups. Uh, it isn't like ah the the orcs are encroaching. Go kill orcs for experience, and the orcs are just monsters, and that's what they're that's the purpose they serve. Uh, here, th- there's at least a little bit more uh, attempt to get at the sense of there's going to be factions and sides and perspectives behind any conflict you find and you're going to have to navigate that a bit so that makes me you know this is just the opening area i've been there for quite a while so it's, it's a big game but it does make me interested in like as the game opens up what more is out there uh rob i'm curious did you play on the scaling big question uh, difficulty or did you play on the everything is just going to be consistent difficulty I went with the uh, so it's not it's yes, there's scaling where wherever you go, it's going to be appropriate to your level or you can do the like region uh, difficulty. And I went with region because it kind of feels like this is a game with starting zones and then it's going to the, the world is going to open to you as you go through it. And I felt like maybe scaling would would throw a throw a wrench in that. Yep, I did the exact same thing where I went with uh, I want I want to play this game as like a. You know, we actually have like shit to do. Um, right. Well, and they've alluded to like there are war zones out there. I haven't seen them. I can't get to them yet. But I do want a sense of like, OK, well, we are going over the border now into into the wars. And I do want to have a sense of like, OK, now my mercenary company has gone from doing like backwater, uh, you know, policing to we are being called on by like you know nobles and generals to like go take on actual armies and see how that changes things yeah i'm excited to put more time into it yeah like i I, yeah one of the things i saw from the trailer was a lot of people fighting bears a lot of bear-based combat and i and i have yet to see a bear with which i have engaged in combat well there's a lot of wildlife (laughs) in the woods like if you're wandering through the woods you will encounter like groups of of animals um and there's an entire like there are different factions. There's like a hunter faction uh, that you will get cred with them by doing hunter quests, which is like there's the random bears in the world. But then there's like big bears. Mm-hmm. And can we hunt the big bear? Uh, can you stop the big bear that's been killing all the people? Uh, yeah. So I do have a question. Have you fucked with like the in environment stuff at all? So like, for example, uh, on like some maps, there will be like a spear sitting like stabbed into the ground. And if you walk over to to make a guy do anything with it. Okay. Did you? Uh, I think I have. I think that you have to like send someone with a good enough stat to actually use it. They okay, stand yeah. next See, the to it. The guy who was by the spear was my, uh, like, archer. Like, not not a <laughs> lot of... It might have been my thief, but either way, not a ton of, like, jack shredded uh, right. muscle. Right, 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 right. Not like a, not like a real shit kicker. You gotta no. send the shit kickers, Rob. 
Uh, but yeah, I haven't used a lot of the environment stuff. I've definitely run afoul of the environment stuff, like uh, running over bear trap randomly is annoying. Um, have you gotten into a fight that you could not have won if you had not like used like falling rocks to kill a bunch of enemies? No. Okay, I have. I, there was a fight that I had where like I was completely fucked if I did not use falling rocks to like get a guy and like that was really that was like a lot more satisfying to me uh having to like engage with that um it was it, it felt cool to have like outthought that encounter um which has like not been happening a ton yet because i think a lot of the counters are, are pretty simple so far uh, yeah. And that one was like way more dynamic uh, in a way that I like liked. I mean, I think like I think that what you just said, I think, is kind of maybe the issue with the game is it's slow burn at the start. The encounters are simple. Like what your characters can do is simple. Uh, it, like it took me a while to really feel like the encounters were anything more than rote, uh, like, you know, mosh pits of uh, characters just sort of brawling with each other. Mm hmm. It does get better than that, but I, I did feel at the start I was not like amazed by the tactics vibe that this mm -hmm. was putting out. I, I have a, I do have another question that I'm curious about. So you are not playing with Iron Man, correct? No. Okay, so I am. Uh, and the thing that I will say is that I've been I've been I think that I have had to take encounters a little bit more seriously than you have from what you've said. Um. Like, I cannot fuck around and find out. Like, I have to be doing a lot of risk mitigation. Like, doing a mission where, like, I was, like, running it over and over again to see if I could do it a little bit better, I, I do not have that luxury uh, in a way that I think is, like, personally, I like a lot. Uh, I like not having that luxury to to fuck around and find out. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I still am pretty, like... I'm still be pretty risk averse because usually it's been pretty like clear. Either a fight's just way too hard for me to take, or it's like in, in my capacity. And once in capacity, it's it's not too bad. Um, mm -hmm. I have been I have been pretty choosy because there are there are places where you'll stumble in fights that you're just not ready for. And yeah, on the Iron Man, I can see that being a bit more. Uh, obviously, the stakes are higher. Uh, yeah, but I but I also do feel like I think if I like I think I would have gotten. My concern is I think playing on Iron Man would have slowed down an already slow start to the game even further. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, like, that's kind of, like, I'm going to be playing more of this. Uh, and I'm curious how it's going to open up. But for people who are, like, curious about this game, I think my, my caution is, like, I would say for a good four hours or so, I was kind of like, this is a fine tactics game, but it's not, like, you know, knocking my socks off. Yeah. And... Once it begins to open up and you see what these systems are doing a bit more, it gets much more interesting. Uh, but the first impressions, like my first impressions were like, this seems like an oddly straightforward game for Shiro. Because usually they're like their their games are are, are really uh, elaborate, but tightly constructed uh, as well in terms of like the the way the systems interact with each other. And here it was like, you know see bandit go hit bandit with stick and mm -hmm. get some xp and it took a little bit a little bit to to move on from that and see fully uh what's going on the uh the other the other caution i'd sound is you only have to pay people once you camp for the night and it's like payday mm -hmm. don't think 
if you simply do not camp, you can get out of this. No, you'll, your horse is <laughs> going to die of your exhaustion. Your pony will die. Uh, I killed. I killed Gumption. Gumption the pony. Oh, oh your horse God. was named Gumption. That's yeah. sick as fuck. That's right. Yeah, uh, Gumption did not make it because I was like, I surely I can make it from the mountains back to the village where all my quests are waiting to turn in. And then Gumption died, and I was like, I killed that pony because I was cheap, and I didn't want to <laughs> tell people that like we were broke. Yeah. What? Um, what? What does happen though? Do you know? It's so it's prorated. Okay. If you have no money, yeah, everyone is pissed. Your party's happiness like collapses, and there's uh-huh. going to be penalties in the fight. People aren't going to fight well because right. they're unhappy, and then people will leave the party if their their oh, happiness is like catastrophic. Uh, yeah. So that is, and I think characters have different like levels of what they will sit around for and what they will mm. put up with. So some will just be like, nice. no, sorry, you like. Uh, things are not going well here. I'm going to take my talents elsewhere. Uh, but if you can like mostly make payroll, like, mm. like once I had to short one of my characters one coin, like literally, like payroll was like 89 gold. I had 88. <laughs> and that character was annoyed, but mm. mostly everyone was happy. So it was like I went from max happiness to like, uh, max happiness was 15. My party was a 14. So things were mm. fine and we all settled it up the next, uh, you know, so the you, next. You can settle camp. up later and it might like. Yeah. And I don't think you have to wait for the full pay cycle. I think like once right. you're paid, you can, you can catch up on, on back pay. Uh, so like you can, you can make that right. And you can, if push comes to shove, you can also like strategically skip payroll mm-hmm. because it's like, I know that what we are headed into, I need to buy up a bunch of gear. And once we complete this mission, we'll be flush. But, you know, right now we need this money for gear. Right. And you can you can make that call. Uh, there's times maybe it's maybe it's worth that risk. Times it's not. But, yeah, it's one of the one of the interesting parts of the game. Uh, mm-hmm. Listening to you talk about this, I just kind of assumed or maybe I, I missed something. This doesn't seem to but does it have any sort of like overarching campaign like on a level of like original mm. XCOM to like no uh, battle battle tech like is there any mission structure at all there that or is it just like open this is a like narrative like emergent narrative game like pretty explicitly right. um but I would say in the zones, there are bigger stories unfolding that you will get onto like there will be yes. quest chains mm. that you come across okay. and like things that like it looks to me like you will do things that will change the state of the world moving forward, mm. but it will, but not necessarily uh, be like, here's the linear path of like the story of the world. Right. So there's, yeah, no campaign, but like there's still narrative that is beyond just like, like event pop-ups and things happening. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Seems mm-hmm. really, seems really, I'm super curious because this has, this has four player cooperative play like rob we should play co-op sometimes how does that i don't know like how how many other tactics games have actually even done this or done it well right i'm curious because yeah i'm very curious how that would work yeah like i can think of like something like um what was the one the the magic one that had the good stories from two years ago oh my god i can't remember the name of this game was a good one you streamed it. Are you a talking bunch. about Wildermyth? Yeah, Wildermyth, right? So like each mm. person could kind of take yeah. control One of, of the single, best video games. A single character. And that kind of makes sense. But this feels like at least the images I'm looking at with the four player cooperative, it looks like everyone has their own squad still. 
Uh, so that oh, seems be, wild. <laughs> that would be wild. It may be cumbersome, but I'd be curious to see how it works. We should we should mm-hmm. check that out. Yeah, Rob, let's do it. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's it's a cool game. I, I think uh, I was underwhelmed at first, but the more time I'm putting into it, the the more the hooks are sinking in, and the more I'm kind of kind of enjoying it. So, uh, yeah, it's that that is. That is where War Tales is at. I'll probably come back with more impressions uh, down the road as I get to put a little more time into it. Uh, let's dip into the question bucket a little bit here before we before we do that. Splash, yes, it is. It is worth splash. It is, it is worth noting that in while recording this, we have an answer to a question we raised and discussed at, during the Halo discussion. Yeah. So Joseph Staten uh, just announced. Uh, I'm reading from their Twitter account. Today, I'm thrilled to announce I've joined Netflix Games as creative director for a brand new AAA multi-platform game and an original uh, IP. Um, in my work life, there's nothing I love more than collaborating with others to build worlds with iconic iconic characters, deep mysteries, and endless adventures. Like the Gray Man. Um, okay. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I, I, um, hmm, I think this is a... Hmm, is Netflix going to still be making games in five years? I don't know. I uh, do. We I might think have a new Netflix, Amazon games situation developing. That's here. sort of my worry. Netflix has been smarter about it, right? Like they, I think b- broadly people aren't aware of like how many cool games they have buried in the Netflix app because the way the app stores currently work, make it difficult for them to function the way they probably otherwise would. But you know, like you, if you have a Netflix subscription, you can just play an excellent version of into the breach and mm-hmm. other games like through, um, through the Netflix app. Um, and so maybe there is a scenario where, you know, in four or five years when this game, you know, would conceivably come out, especially with it being a new IP, the Netflix, I mean, Netflix will still be around like Netflix, whatever it'll be half a decade from now, it will still be, an important uh, uh, sort of like entertainment company, but these companies that come in and say like, well, I want to make video games. Like it just so rarely works, works out. Like Am- Amazon has found themselves like their biggest successes is just, just stop making video games and just, we're going to go to Korea, like South Korea and find a successful MMO and localize it, which look, that's fine. Like that's worked out for them. And they've announced other partnerships um, that, that are probably l- less risk than, um, you know, building your own thing. But I, I have to admit it gives me a little a bit of worry that I'm sure this was a blank check, but like there's a reason these partnerships tend to not work out, you know, when there's some sort of cycling of leadership. And it's like this games thing is a money sink, isn't it? Let's let's stop making those. And like we saw that with Stadia, we saw that with, you know, we've seen it with Amazon to some degree. And I, I, it's there aren't red flags here yet. We just have a history of these kinds of partnerships and explorations from tech companies not really working out. Yeah. Uh, anyway, to the to the question bucket. Remember, you can send us all your questions at gamingadvice.com with the subject line questions. All right. So we'll open with uh, this one about uh, missing nostalgia. Uh, so. It's signed Terror in Love. Uh, So Terror in Love writes, Hello, Waypoint. Uh, This is my first question sent to you. Uh, What can I say? Uh, My brain is really bad. After work, when I'm home, there might not be a thing called email. It never existed uh, to my brain. Over the holidays, while I was dissociating, I got to thinking as I played a few older games and managed to write this down in my notes app mid-play. My question 
Are there things you miss from gaming that you have a hard time finding now? This can be a feature or type of play or genre or anything, uh, anything at all, really. Mine would be overworld maps from RPGs. Granted, I think they were probably created due to hardware limitations uh, to give a sense of traversal and place to games of the time, but there's something so endearing about them. Wandering the field and finally getting a sand ship or giant mech, circumnavigating the world in your cute little blimp boat was so satisfying. True, I don't miss random field battles. I know a few indies have scratched that itch like Horizons Gate, uh, but I think they might be gone for good in AAA games, uh, I, I guess. Uh, so I think that's that's sort of the, the, the question for you all. Are there like features or things you miss from games of the past uh, that like were present and like pretty conventional that have just kind of faded away? The Nintendo 3DS allowed for drawing your own maps uh, in Etrian Odyssey games, like by hand. And sure, do they have map drawing in the soon-to-be-coming-out remakes? Yes, they do. Will it be the same? No, it won't. (laughs) I want my little stylus to draw my little map with. I want to make my little notes, and I'm not going to get to. And you know what? I think that's a crock of shit. I mean, there's a lot of things about the 3DS specifically. Like, I think Mario 3D Land will end up being like one of the. It's. It, it, I love that game, but I don't think it was played by a, a ton of people. And I, I think the 3D on that specifically was excellent and uh, actually improved play because platformers specifically are about like trying to estimate like depth, uh, you know, in terms of like what you're doing with the character and momentum. And I found the 3D to be actually not like required, but useful and interesting in the in in the execution of playing that game. And, you know, I don't know if they'll ever port it, but if it ever does get ported, well, like I'm not going to have glasses free 3D like that was a tech that basically people stopped iterating on after the 3DS. Like that's just not a thing that's that's going to to happen like the closest you get to it, you know, is, is, you know, VR headsets, um, that use, you know, 3d to, to create uh, depth. But I, I'm with you, Ren. like there are, it's the blessing and the curse of the way Nintendo does hardware is that they are going to frequently create hardware that makes for unique experiences. And then some of those games can come along, but even if they do, they're going to come in a compromised form. That is like, as you point out, like, the actual like picking up a stylus and drawing that is just not going to be the same as like pulling up a map uh, section right. in in the options. And in the same way that 3D land would be fun to play again, but like there was something about it being on, on a hand, like playing that game on a big TV, you'd almost have to do a remake or something like that. Cause it's, it's just not going to be the same as having it at like that handheld distance with the way that 3D as fin- finicky as it was work. I, I, I miss that too. Yeah. What a good little device. It was a great handheld. Yeah, I have, I have my Nintendo 3DS XL sitting on my desk right now. If I could get any console immediately, this second, if I could if I could do a magic spell, it would be the Steam Deck and then a new Nintendo 2DS XL because I want one of those fuckers so badly and they are so expensive because the modding scene uh, for the 3DS has just completely absolutely uh, completely and totally fucked the pricing. Uh, on mm. that entire device, um, which I get why it happened. Uh, however, I am sad about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, not like they're going to make new ones. So right. it's just like the exi- the existing supply is the supply. 
And that is that it's the new CRT. Yeah. Or like rip to rip to anyone who wants a cool 3DS. Does do do printed game manuals count as a part of the game? Do. It's a, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I and increasingly uh, Kato, uh discs inside of a box. Yeah, on, that you purchased. <laughs> like, like fit that. <laughs> like <laughs> we're going that far. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do like there was something so magical about that car ride home being able to bust open the box and like start reading about it and start Mm -hmm, seeing the images mm -hmm. getting your imagination going before you can actually go put the thing in the console Um, legitimately that's when you start playing the video game is is once it is like yeah yes once it's taken up that mind space and like you're already you know you know getting excited for imagining that world uh they also smelled great uh, the new yes, new manual smell the, that pa- that paper smell is always good for some reason. Um, I still have somewhere my the 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 manual for my copy of Pokemon Red. Kept that shit. Found it like later in life. I was like, this is this belongs in a museum, <laughs> and I've got it like tucked away somewhere safe. Um, but yeah, I miss I miss that. I think specifically mine mine's a bit related, but I really miss uh keyword reference charts uh, <laughs> where it was like, yep, here is a printout of exactly where all the controls are yeah. mapped because like even <laughs> games that aren't that complicated when you find yourself ducking into like after the tutorial stuff, you haven't been, been playing it for a while. Every time you're like, oh, I need to look up like, how do I do this thing what again? Thing? You got to yeah. duck into the keyboard layout thing or the controller layout thing and the mm. options. That sucks. I mean, and like sometimes and I really wish there were just a, a glossy card that I could have next to me. That's like, hey, go, here's a reminder of how this works. You go back early enough and that that's not even in the options yet. Right. Like well, they're just like locked in. You have to like fucking yeah. you have to have the paper reference to even know. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that's that's kind of uh, something I, I I badly miss. Um, also unsigned. This feels like a thing you might have read before. Popeyes, does that ring a bell? No. Popeyes. No. All right. No, this is new. Hey, Waypointificators. Uh, speaking of the useless, uselessness of user movie reviews, last week I got an object lesson in just how meaningless those scores can be. I was in a Twitter discussion about 1970s and 1980s movie stars signing up to star in obvious flops and thought of Popeye 1980 with Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall. Of course, I hadn't seen it since I was like seven, so I Googled to see if it was as poorly regarded as I thought. I saw the Google user reviews averaged 3.4 out of 5, with a heavy skew towards 1s and 5. I scrolled through them and found some interesting takes. Employees were very rude and unprofessional, (laughs) complained one. Avoid, warned another. Ordered food at 6 p.m., called up three times to be told it will be with you in the next few minutes. It's now nearly 8.30 p.m. and the food isn't here. I just ordered there. The order was wrong per usual, and the wings had feathers on it. That's right. Robert Altman's star-crossed adaptation of a beloved 20th century newspaper comic has been review-bombed with complaints about various locations of the Popeye's Louisiana kitchen chain. Just one more reason we should all say, fuck capitalism, go home. (sighs) That's extremely... Good. Is that just... I wonder if those are all tied to a particular... Popeyes that people like in a region are getting recommended 
right. to review the movie. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, is this is this just a generalized Popeyes disagreement or something off of you know Fourteenth Street that that people are upset about? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm curious. I, I feel like you have to go out of your way to make that mistake. Uh, that there's a lot of guardrails to try to keep you from doing things. Presumably. Exactly I, I have, I cannot back this up with true articulation, but I, I remember liking that movie as a kid, but I don't know <laughs> if that is just residual Robin Williams, right? right? Like, I grew up in the era in which you just watch, like, Robin Williams was one of the biggest actors around, and, you know, the introduction for a lot of kids was an Aladdin and then you're like, well, time to watch Mrs. Doubtfire and like, wow, that one aged well. Um, uh, but you know, he was, he, I, I, I remember liking, but I, I don't know if the movie was good. I just remember liking watching Robin Williams be goofy. And I, I, I feel like I'm safe. That one's like not a cherished memory. So now like that's one that desperately I would, now I feel inclined to rewatch that movie to be like, what the, what the fuck was that film? I need to, like, I have always been, I, I keep meaning to go back and figure out what the fuck was going on with Dick Tracy. That to me is, mm-hmm. that to me is my, like, big flop. Is that, this like, because of the midnight, the interview th- th- weirdo things that, uh, that, that, that didn't um, brought it to mind. Yeah. But, uh, even before then, it's like, it was such a big budget, like, a lot Swing. of prestige Huge. was on the line for yeah. that movie. And it was a disaster. And I kind of wonder, was it actually a disaster or was it people didn't know how to respond to a movie like this, that at the time and people would get it now? I bet that move, well, get it is maybe strong, but I my, I wouldn't be shocked if you went back to watch that movie and you're like, damn, like this is pretty sick. Detached from like the, the context of, of, of the era that, that it actually is a, a pretty good movie. I, I have all, I mean... That's also a movie I watched a ton of. I was on cable a bunch. I think is is like my memory of of Dick Tracy. I was like, that's a big yellow jacket. And then what was the villain? <laughs> he had like a. There's something wrong with his face, right? Like they all have something wrong with it. Like they're all little weirdos. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Rob. That's the that's the Dick Tracy. Well, that was like, the yeah the, the the rogue gallery of Dick Tracy was like gangsters, um of of all of all ilks. Yeah, they're all just a bunch of little freaks. I think that was the Dick Tracy <laughs> universe, though. I think that it's was just a bunch of grimy little guys. What a weird, what a weird comic strip. Honestly, it like it's incomprehensible that people would follow that day after day. Uh, be like, can't I, I? Can't wait to see what weird shit Dick Tracy gets up to uh, today. <laughs> when if people uh, somehow don't know, like Warren Beatty, like the you know the star of that and. He ha- he owns the rights to the film adaptation of Dick Tracy as a result of this film. And then when those rights come up in the same way that, you know, like if like for a long time, like let's say like the Hellraiser movies were owned by uh, the, the Weinstein Company, they would just funnel out a movie to the so that they could if you make something, you get to keep the rights. And like in order to keep the Dick Tracy rights, he hosts like a retrospective like video once every five or 10 years and just doing that. And it airs in like at two in the morning, I think it was on YouTube, maybe this time, but the one that was just happened uh, recently in order to, to maintain those rights. And they are the most bizarre thing. I believe either this year or the one before he did a whole interview in character as Dick Tracy. Am I right? Yes. About this? <laughs> yes. It's, it's fucking wild. What the fuck? I didn't realize that was a, a, a ploy to keep rights. Uh, yes. I thought he just like decided randomly to be like, hey, remember when I was in that bomb? 
No, no, this is this is part like that was huge. everyone thought of it like there was a huge like McDonald's market co-marketing yeah. campaign built around this thing. It was like, get ready for Dick Tracy. And here's a bunch of like games that, uh, you know, and promos. There was like, a like, SNES game, a Dick Tracy SNES game for sure. Uh, I definitely remember that. Yeah. Uh, very, very, very strange uh, disaster. All right. Just a interesting email here from Andrew. Uh, hey, Waypointers, I was listening to the Rob and Kato duo episode recently, and Rob made a bit of a throwaway comment about fighting hockey when compared to the unwritten rules of baseball that flagged my attention. And I wanted to share some insight with you on that as someone who's played hockey in a league that allowed us to fight when I was in high school. In that league, if you did fight, you and your partner got matching five-minute majors for the fight. For those of you unfamiliar with the rules of hockey, that means that the two fighters are sat in the penalty box for five minutes, plus however long it took afterwards for a stoppage in play, while both teams played on as usual. Most of my friends in lower leagues were fighting was uh, most of my friends played in lower leagues where fighting was considered a match penalty, which meant the fighters were immediately ejected. Their teams got five minute majors and the fighters were suspended a minimum of 30 days. Despite the drastic difference in punishment for fighting, my league was considered significantly safer than a lot of those lower leagues, and a lot of us players thought it was because we were allowed to fight. You see, in a lot of my friends' leagues, if a player was out on the ice acting dangerously in ways the refs weren't calling or noticing, cheap shots behind the play, slashes on a goalie, in a scrum in front of the net, a minor penalty uh, in a dangerous spot, etc., there was nothing that could be done about that player. This meant that games could wind up, uh, could end up winding up with more and more cheap hits and jabs until eventually someone gets their legs taken out from under them and they end up going face first into the boards at full speed. However, in our league, because we were allowed to fight, when you had a player that was being dangerous on the ice, the threat of a fight was usually enough to get things settled down pretty quickly. Because as you can imagine, a six, seven dude telling you that he was going to throw you around like a rag doll if you don't cool it is a great motivator for changing your behavior. In fact, most fights in my leagues consisted of a problem player getting grappled, shaken, then punched once or twice before getting pushed down to the ice by the larger, scarier defenseman. Fuck capitalism, go to a rink, Andrew, the enforcer appreciator. P.S. There's actually a really good documentary about enforcers at the professional level called Ice Guardians that focuses a lot on the way that fighting enforcers affect the game outside of just beating each other up and on how the ways the game has gotten faster and more skill-based has pushed a lot of those players out of the highest professional levels. Hell yeah. I, I want to watch that. I want to watch that. This is this is a perspective I've heard before, and I, I do kind of agree with it to an extent. Like in a lot of international rules, like in leagues, they don't permit fighting uh in hockey and in general. And like when you know, when you when you learn about like the mental and physical toll it took on like guys who are dedicated enforcers, like it, it doesn't sound like it's a it's a fun job or or, or a good job. But the there is something to be said for that like there are going to be gray areas that crop up in a sport that people can operate in and that like officials won't necessarily address and the sort of we will deal with this out on the ice with an enforcer thing can like it can make the game safer there's a lot like even the NHL, sometimes you still you still hear discussion of like, you know, well, this this team really is kind of lacking an enforcer, uh, you know, to sort of hold guys to account for cheap shots being taken on their players because the refs can't see everything. And there's stuff that like could be technically legal, but is still like really poor form. 
right? right. Uh, where like you could have landed, like legally you could land that hit on somebody, but like there was no need to hit them that hard or like do it in that situation and like put all that sauce on it. So like it's it's one of those it, like I find this part of sport really fascinating where it's like there's the rules as they are written down. And then there's kind of like the ritualistic side of it as well, where it's like, and here are ways we adjudicate disputes out that, that sort of take place within those rules or, or aren't really like adequately covered by, by the rules, um, which is something I, I always find so interesting that like, sometimes it's just like pure macho bullshit culture in a sport, but sometimes there's also like a weird, like, when you learn about the way the sport works and the culture of the sport, you're like, Oh, that makes kind of a weird amount of sense that like there would be a benefit to having this kind of like extracurricular judicial system. Yeah. I mean like this is also like a, to, to a lighter, to a lesser extent, like a thing in baseball, right? Like there were, there were historically guys who were just like, we got this big guy who pushes and you know what? I love that. I, I, those are also like, you know, I, I watch a lot of John Boy's like videos. And so like, I, I love a guy in a sport who has a weird story that is like so much the joy of sports to me. And I feel like enforcers and like enforcer related guys are usually just like fascinating people to yeah. hear about. Uh, and so it makes me sad that like they're kind of falling out of um, they're kind of falling out of like at, at like extance um, because I, I, I think that they're fun. Uh, that they exist. Yeah. And like, I mean, uh, well, and the, the, the other weird thing is uh, this is NHL specific, but like there've been studies that the NHL doesn't actually protect its best players very effectively. Like the mm-hmm. refs make judgment calls all the time about like who they will like call penalties against and like really skilled players uh, who are like stars and are like, just like a cut above everyone out there on the ice uh, they will let those guys get tagged more often than they let other, like they will call penalties against other players, but they will let like the stars get tagged a little bit, maybe under the assumption that like, these are so good that like uh, the only way that some of these teams can keep up with them is to like interfere with them a little bit or like put a few extra hits on them. But like over a career, it means that a lot of their best players get like, you know, the snot knocked out of them, uh, you know, a lot more than, than other players. And to an extent it's like, this is just a this is just a bias in officiating uh, that that exists, <laughs> and to an extent, like this is why you need the goon. You know, if the ref isn't going to call these things, then you need someone to go over the boards and be like, "Hey, if you hit our star player like that, uh, I'm going to use you to zamboni the ice." And like, <laughs> there's value you there's value in that. Um, but speaking of refs. Uh, choosing when to interfere. Did y'all see that uh, clip going around of the uh, NYPD versus FDNY hockey game? Yeah, firefighter won, right? Beat the shit out of that cop. Of fucking course they did. Of, of course they did. Like, but the funniest thing to me is you see contest. the you see the ref come in and like just kind of wait. Until he, the guy fucking decks the other guy. And then the second he's like, okay, now we're done. Now we're done. But they weren't going to break up that fight before someone connected a fucking punch. <laughs> well, that's that's the ritual of a hockey fight. Like, the, the officials yeah. stand there. Yeah. And they're like, as long as the guys are both on their the, feet yeah. and trading blows, right. then they let it go. The minute a guy is down. There wasn't a lot of hammered, trading this like, time, let's say. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They will let. They will let. 
if a, like sometimes you see comically bad hockey fights because a dude just has a reach that is longer and so he's just like holding the guy with one arm and giving so him the business in. with the other and the other guy's arms are like literally too short to like put a good uh to get a put a good hit on the on the other dude and uh <laughs> that will just be allowed to unfold uh sometimes if if you find yourself in a fight like that maybe you did do something to to bring it on um yeah. that is a like they won't let the like, goons just like fight with anybody uh but sometimes like a non-fighting player will be allowed to be trapped in a fight with a with an enforcer because everyone's kind of like yeah that guy you, fucked you, up you, yeah, you, you done messed up. with the bull <laughs> yeah damn it's crazy how that happened to you that's wild yeah who could who could have predicted that oh that is that that is that is great though uh i i always like i figured those games were just just as vicious uh you know <laughs> I figured rescue me on on fx back in the day was like embellishing the yeah. degree to which those fights were uh the, those those games were vicious uh and no holds barred but it I, i'm happy to see there's some some truth <laughs> to the legend all right well i think uh it is time for us to call time on today's episode if you want more from waypoint you can follow us on twitter at waypoint facebook and youtube waypoint vice you can follow me uh at rob zachney on twitter kato where can people follow you at a underscore kato underscore appears patrick at Patrick Klubik. Ren. At Ren or Raven. You can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, you can check out Ren's article on Everspace 2 uh, when when you get a chance. And I've also been starting to play a little bit uh, of that, but in my I'll own do th- I'll do that this week. Way. We can... A fucking course we, we'll, you We'll are, convene Rob. the Everspace Council later this week. <laughs> of course you are. Uh, and hey, thanks to Waypoint Plus, we've been able to have a bunch of fun streams lately. Uh, Patrick and I went back to Dead Space last week, and hey, I'm curious, uh, did Darkest Dungeon 2 uh, live up to sort of the, like, nightmarishly unbalanced difficulty that... Uh, that was easy. No, it was fine. Easy totally game. Fine. We, had, easy we did game. fine. Totally we fine. We did totally fine. That's Great awesome. game. It was sick. Listen, the game's balanced. Like, they... they not the, 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 <laughs> Let me take that sentence back. The game is not balanced. <laughs> However, they have done balancing to the game that has made it uh, more normal to play. Um, sorry, it's an important distinction. Yeah, it seems very normal. It was actually surprisingly normal. I'm like, is this the same game that people have been talking about? Oh, it is. <laughs> you just haven't yet learned hate. I haven't. I truly haven't. I think we might. Oh, you just like slid in and fucking dunked on that game. Yes, they did. Wow. It was, was fun. Yeah, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, we got to the first. Uh, we got to the first. Yeah. Whatever. The end of the first area or whatever. Right. Yeah. The, that's that's. People were having trouble doing game. even that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, c- congratulations. You're you are you are the prodigy. Uh, so thank you. Thank thrilled, you. thrilled to hear that. Uh, for our Waypoint <laughs> Plus listeners, this we're finally doing it. This is Mandy Week. We're we're doing it. We're <laughs> yeah. we're recording the Mandy episode Ooh. as you are listening to this, and it will be live uh, via the Waypoint Plus feed on Wednesday. If that sounds good, or you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. Uh, our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone/boen. For now, we are calling time on this Tuesday. We will talk to you again on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home.
oh my god, my neighbor is doing like this. Their remodel will not end. It's just it won't end. They're just like it's just <laughs> nothing but pounding, and like it's it's like metal pounding. It's I'm I'm losing my shit. Why okay. would it end? You know, I because eventually that, you run out of house to remodel, no, don't you? No, no. Hey, Rob, we're all building ourselves every day. You know, we're all like, we're all like working on ourselves. Did it end and- for the ship of Theseus? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, actually, Rob, if there's one thing I know that people treat like a fucking ship of Theseus, it's their goddamn homes. It's never going to end. <laughs> oh, no.